text for the sermon this morning is Hebrews 4, verse 16. Hebrews 4, verse 16. We'll read that verse again. Let us, therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, I don't know if you follow sports or athletics or so, but the World Athletics Championships took place uh, last August in August in Russia. Canadian woman just missed being on the podium for the 100-meter women's hurdles. Hurdles. And you know what hurdles are? They're these frame-like barriers that are placed so many meters apart. And the runners, after they start the race, they have to take so many steps and jump over each of those hurdles without knocking them over and, and falling on their faces themselves. If you fall, you have to scramble, get up, and try to get in stride for the next hurdle, which is very difficult to do in between those hurdles. Almost impossible. And you're not going to get any help either, because it's a race for yourself. The word hurdle has thus entered the English language to designate a difficulty in life which has to be overcome. And congregation, our lives are something like a hurdles race too, aren't they? Really, you think about that. A race full of hurdles, many difficulties which we need to get in stride for to be able to jump over every time again and make progress. And then as far as hurdles go, you can think of maybe of sickness of an accident, of losing your job, of failing a test at school and having to tell your parents when you get home. Things like that. Sometimes you knock over one of those hurdles, those frames, you fall hard, flat on your face, you hurt yourself. Maybe sprain an ankle. How are you gonna get up and continue your race that race of faith, we could even call it. Be people around you to help you, but it often looks like you have to get up and go on by yourself. Maybe hobble on. Life's like that quite often, isn't it? Nobody actually to help you get up and continue in the race of life. You have to get up and do it. But what about the Lord your God? Does it help to call on him if you run into big or small hurdles in your life? Will he help? Or do believers have to manage by themselves completely? In short, I could put that this way. Does it help to pray? The home visit theme this year is prayer. 
prayer. And in the first part of the letter to the Hebrews, we've seen over the past weeks the authority, the power of the Word of God are mentioned. They come to the fore in the first part of Hebrews. We have to listen to that Word, let it work in our hearts so that we resist the deceitfulness of sin and stay close to the Lord. But the letter to the Hebrews is actually, as a whole, it's a letter about worship. Communal worship, but also private about the word and also about prayer. And we see that in the text for this morning, prayer. And we see that prayer is possible because of Christ's work and his ongoing presence in heaven. Because of him, our high priest at God's right hand, we can go to God and we can ask for and we can expect help for the hurdles in the race of this life, the race of faith. And the theme for the text this morning is then simply prayer. And we'll see first that we may pray and secondly what we may pray. Prayer, that we may pray. Well, to begin with, the text shows that prayer is possible, that it helps. There's definitely a connection between heaven and earth, between the Lord God and us. You have the freedom to go to God. You have the right to call on Him even. We can say it's, it's a right. And as Christians, it can be expected then that we use that freedom and that right and that we use it for our day-to-day -day life, journey, race through this life. We know that as Christians we should and we can pray to God. But you know, there are two extremes when it comes to prayer. You know, I, I, if I think about the past, you know, that the past, God was seen as uh, more distant, more as the Lord of hosts enthroned on high among all His mighty ones. Something like one of those great kings or emperors of old on their thrones, in their throne rooms. You could only approach someone like that with extreme timidity, trembling, healthy measure of dread, because your life was in his hands. You almost kind of had to grovel. That was the way some people used to interpret the fear of the Lord, as if you had to be afraid of him. That's how children in the past, even when I was a child, yet were, were raised. Watch out. Watch out, God sees everything you do, and how can you go to him then? And the threat of God's punishment for wrongs was a big part of one's upbringing. And with that kind of training, it was no wonder that it could hardly come to an assured and intimate relationship with God, a relationship in which you could talk to God about the real worries and sorrows of your heart. No, the approach to God was seen then as, as when Esther, you know, Esther in the Bible approached the throne of King Xerxes. He was even her husband. But she had to approach him with fear and trembling because she might live or die. Things have seemed to have changed a lot, though, right, over time. And I'm almost inclined to say that we have the opposite situation now 
as far as communication with God goes. Nowadays, Christians are encouraged to approach the Lord God like an intimate friend, a buddy even. Intimacy with God has become a phrase that's thrown around a lot nowadays. Intimate with God and feeling God's presence. Also in prayer, even feeling the warmth of His arm around you as He hears your prayer. How many hymns and contemporary praise and worship songs nowadays aren't about a God who is always at hand for you and whose love is all around you and always understands you? Nothing upsets Him. He's always there for you. Faith for many Christians today is all about experiencing God's closeness, His intimacy, His friendship, also through talking to Him in prayer. And now maybe you're thinking, but Reverend, are you saying that it's wrong to seek an intimate relationship with God, to want to experience Him close by, to talk to Him about everything that's in my heart? You don't want to tell me that God's distant now, do you? Almost unreachable, far away. Well, that's not, not the intention either, congregation. Prayer needs to be meaningful and relational. But we need to watch out for one thing. We shouldn't think that we can tame God, as it were. Make Him kind of our personal domestic servant. Somebody who we can summon for help whenever we need it and want it. Somebody who answers all our needs and wants and desires. In other words, God as, as we want Him to be for ourselves. And that's a big danger. We read the prayers in the Bible, you know, especially also in the Psalms. You don't get the sort of picture of that, that, that relationship with God that's touted quite a bit today. No, when, when we look at the text for this morning, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, we see a wonderful, healthy balance between God's loftiness, His exaltedness and holiness on the one hand, and His nearness and warmth on the other hand. And that's how we should approach God in prayer, with that balance in heart and mind. Because just look at the text, how it speaks there about a throne. A throne. The writer has God's throne in heaven in mind. God on his throne in glory and majesty as John saw that in Revelation 4. A throne, you see, has to do with a ruler, a king, or an emperor who has all the power, and you don't approach a king or queen just like that even today, right? Imagine, imagine that you had an invitation to go and meet Queen Elizabeth at Buckingham Palace. I think you'd get really, really nervous and uptight once you arrived at the palace and stood there at the bottom step of the palace. You get really nervous because the queen isn't just anybody. She's royalty. She's famous. I think we'd keep a feeling of distance, even if that queen, you know, Queen Elizabeth spoke very nicely to us, shook our hands and we bowed to her. I think we'd keep that feeling of distance, wouldn't we? And see, I, I think that's what's behind that word throne in the text too. Throne. That's God's throne. 
and it alludes to God's majesty and God's glory as, his, as a king over all things. And that means reverence, which is the real meaning of the, the word fear. You approach God with reverence and reserve. Let's never think of God as our, our close buddy who's always there for us. Let's never act as if we have God in our pocket, as somebody has said, because we don't. God is far above us, highly exalted, as he himself says through his pro prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 55, verse 9, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now, let's remember who we are before God. We don't have the right to manipulate God for our causes then, we realize. No, in our singing about him and to him, our speaking about him, calling on him in prayer, we always need to be conscious of that word, what that word throne in the text stands for. God is highly exalted. He is glorious. He is the sovereign ruler over all things in heaven and on earth. But the text doesn't only speak of throne. It says more. It assures us we don't have to appear before that exalted God with apprehension, trembling with fear, even af almost afraid to open our mouths. On the contrary, it says in the text, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Boldly. And throne of grace. Throne of grace. It doesn't say throne of the majesty on high, the throne of the king of kings. No, the throne of grace. You could also translate that here as some translations have it. The throne of the gracious or the gracious one. Now, grace is a very special word in the Bible. Grace stands for favor, for undeserved favor. It shows us that even though God is holy and majestic, he wants to bridge the distance between him and us. He wants to reach out to us in favor if we go to that throne. And if God wants to do that, we don't have to be afraid. So highly exalted, but a throne of grace. How is that possible? How can God be king of kings in glory on his throne, holy and exalted, and at the same time also the gracious one who reaches out to us in favor? Well, the secret is in the third word of the text, therefore, therefore. It says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. And that refers to what was just said before our text, just before the text. And what was mentioned there is that Jesus Christ has ascended into heaven and that thus we have a high priest in heaven who was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. And what that means is this, the Lord Jesus was sent into this world by his heavenly father in order to deliver you and me from the power and the guilt of sin and to reconcile us to God. That's what the Lord Jesus had to do. And he did that by means of his suffering, death, and resurrection. 
and he ascended to his Father and intercedes there for us. Now, all of that we know wasn't an easy thing for him to do. As man, Christ was tempted by Satan to give up on his mission right from the beginning already when he was on earth. Satan would not leave him alone. In fact, when Jesus Christ was on earth, Satan was especially active here on earth. He possessed people around Jesus to tempt him. You know, right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry already, Jesus was in the wilderness, and Satan said to him, you know, just, just bow to me one time. Just bow your knee to me a little bit even, and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world without you having to shed one drop of blood for them. And later on, Jesus' own chosen apostle, you know, Peter, he tried to keep Jesus from his work. And Jesus told his disciples he was going to have to suffer many things at the hands of the leaders and that he was going to be killed. And then Peter said to him, you know, I, I, you could see he reached out to him and he grabbed him by the shoulder and said, Lord, that's never going to happen to you. Never. And then Jesus had to call his own apostle Satan. Get behind me, Satan, for you're not mindful of the things of God, but of men. And later on in the Garden of Gethsemane, at the last moment, before he had to be arrested, he was arrested and had to go to the cross. Jesus asked his father, if, if, if possible, that that cup of suffering, that cup of God's wrath be taken away from him. But no matter how intense the temptations and they were very intense because, as we mentioned, God con uh, the, Satan concentrated his efforts on him his whole life through. The Lord Jesus did not give in. There was no grain of disobedience on Jesus' part. As the writer of the Hebrews states, verse 15, tempted in all points as we are. All points. Everything you have to go through, Jesus went through too. But only he without sin. And praise God that Jesus went about the task his father gave him here on earth without any sin then. His task to offer himself as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. His task to bring us back to God. And yes, if you think about what you're doing when you pray, if you realize that you're approaching the throne of the Almighty and Holy God, then you can certainly shudder a bit. His glory is all around him, the ruler of the universe. His holiness, it shines brightly, his holiness and perfection. And when you enter that throne room of God with all his glory around him, then that highlights the blackness of your own sins. And when you approach that throne, that fresh cleanliness of his perfection, you realize how much you actually stink because of your shortcomings. And that can fill you with shame as you sit there on your bedside in prayer and you're going to approach God with everything of the day.
Lord God, I'm so unworthy. I'm so ashamed. But you approach that throne with Jesus then. That throne is a throne of grace. And you can approach with Jesus because of his perfect holiness and cleanness. Because his holiness and sacrifice, perfect sacrifice covers you. You may boldly and confidently approach God's throne. We can pray because of Christ, our Savior, God's Son in our flesh forever. As long as we have Him with us in our hearts, we, we come to that throne confidently. His perfect righteousness and satisfaction covers all our, our sins and the blackness of our sins and the, the smell of our, the, the horrible smell of our shortcomings. It covers that in the presence of God Almighty. Because of Him, we can approach God on high. And when we come to God with Him in our hearts, God hears us. With Christ, we may pray. And now we come to the second point of the sermon this morning. Our theme, you remember, is simply prayer. And we saw, first of all, that we may pray. The second thing our text shows us is that is what we may pray. Yes, what we may pray for. Think about that. What, what, what may we pray for? Some people think that they're going to bother the Almighty with all kinds of trivialities in their lives. He's so busy governing the universe. Why would he want to bother with my, my worries about the kind of things I, I, I have to deal with from day to day. It'd be like asking Prime Minister Harper what to do about my car. Fix it or buy a new one. What do you think, Steve? He's way too busy running the country. Way too busy running the country to worry about my car. But brothers and sisters, boys and girls, let's not think too earthly of God. There's no limit to his knowledge, his ability, his power. You can talk to him, you can ask him about anything at all that is in your heart, anything that you deal with in your life. Talk, him, talk to him about it all because of Jesus Christ, our Savior. There's always that open ear for us at God's throne. Always an open ear. However, there are priorities. And there's one thing in particular that you can bring before that throne of grace as our text shows. You recall I mentioned hurdles in the introduction to the sermon, the race where you have to jump over all those frames, you easy stumble and you have to get up again and go on, try to get into pace again. That race serves as a kind of metaphor for our lives as Christians. Sometimes. There seem to be all kinds of high hurdles to overcome. You know, you just get over the one, and there's another one. And then you get over that one, and there's another one. And that can discourage you, so you even, maybe even you're tempted to give up that race altogether. So many hurdles. And the biggest hurdle might even be yourself. Your own sinful desires that you have to fight with all the time. You have to face yourself every day. Oh, you wished 
you could make progress in your life for the Lord. You want to stand stronger in your faith. But you have the feeling you're not going forward at all. As if there's no growth in your faith, actual growth in, 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 in your, your life of faith. And then it seems, you know, even if you are, seem to be getting ahead, there's, it's three steps ahead and then two back. And sometimes it's two ahead and three back. You reacted the way you had decided you were not going to react to that person. You were so determined last week that you were going to take up the Bible every day, but there were again days you did not. The day went by so quickly you didn't even think of God. You were so determined not to go to those sites on your computer, you couldn't stop yourself. Hurdles, hurdles which make you stumble in your race of faith. Maybe loneliness becomes a hurdle. You feel lonely at work where your co-workers seem to have such different lives and such different ways of talking than you do. And if you don't go along with them, with their language and jokes and loose social life, you end up on your own at work. And it can be pretty lonely every day going to work. And you feel so different. Maybe you're tempted to just give up being different and just go along with them. Well, the Jewish Christians to whom the letter to the Hebrews was written would recognize that kind of feeling for sure. And that's because as we read through this first part of the letter, they were in danger of stumbling or even giving up on that race of faith because of the pressures around them. Remember the warning about drifting away from the word of God in chapter 2. And, and the exhortations to hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end, chapter 3. And the encouragement earlier on in chapter 4 to be diligent to enter God's rest lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience as those Israelites who disbelieved God's promises in the wilderness who were caught by the deceitfulness of sin. It's as if the writer of the letter to the Hebrews is sitting in the stands watching those Jewish Christians there running a hurdles race. Watch out for that one there. Oh, oh, be careful. Watch that one there. And he wants to encourage those Christians. And that's how he comes to prayer too in our text. He says, if you're in danger of stumbling, falling, bowing out of the race of faith, remember, you can approach the throne of the Almighty and call for help. Oh God, help me to keep going. Help me to get through this trouble, to overcome this temptation. If there's one prayer Jesus is willing to bring to the throne of grace with you, it's that one. Help me, God. Help me. And when you bring that request to God's throne, you can be sure, 100% sure, our text says, that he is there, that he hears, that he will not let you fall out of the race, that he will help you 
give you the help you need. Look at the text again. It says that we'll find, we'll find grace, we'll obtain mercy, and find grace to help in time of need. In time of need, you could also translate that as find grace to help or mercy to help at the right time, at exactly the right time, the exact time we need it. God never acts too late because he looks with mercy on the runners in that race of faith. How they need to work so hard to get ahead in this broken world, in this fallen life. It's like trying to swim through mud. He sees their weaknesses. He sees when they get tired. And he wants to help. He's promised that. And he wants to help out of the grace obtained for his people in Christ. That grace means that he will certainly hear when they call on him to help. He will act. He will do something to help. Congregation, we're a lot like those Jewish Christians. A letter to the Hebrews was written to, aren't we? Because like them, we're often pretty weak, burdened with all kinds of worries, confronted with a lot of temptations today. And we have our own history. Each of us has our history of having fallen for so many temptations already too. So many hurdles in the race of faith today which have to be jumped over. It's hard, hard, hard to run the race of faith today too without tripping and falling on your face. Actually, it's impossible, isn't it? I assume you recognize yourself in that. I assume that nobody here is thinking, I have no hurdles. I have no problems with that at all. Because that would show you're not even running the race. It is a hurdles race. No, everyone who takes faith in Christ seriously has to acknowledge that there is a race here with a lot of hurdles which often cause to stumble and hurt. But the thing is, congregation, our text shows us is if you feel weak in that race of faith and you stumble or if you fall, know that you may freely and boldly approach the throne of the Almighty, the throne of His grace, that you may call, help God, help. And He will, for the sake of the Savior you have in your heart, He will certainly hear and help. Or maybe sometimes you get the feeling God's taking too long to respond to your prayer for help. But because of Jesus, he's not going to let you fall. He's not going to let you fall for good. He'll provide you with the help you need at exactly the right time you need it. That's what our text shows so clearly. That's what the Spirit is proclaiming to you here. And it's confirmed by the Apostle Paul who wrote in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted 
beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape. He knows what it is to run the race of faith in this fallen world. Jesus does. He had to go at, over hurdle after hurdle after hurdle after hurdle in his life. And he finished the race without a stumble. Without a stumble. And because of him, God looks on you with mercy and will show his grace for Jesus' sake. When you stumble and when you have a high hurdle to get over, what kind of help will God give? Well, God's help in our temptations and trials consists mainly of this, that he convinces us evermore in our hearts that Jesus' righteousness and sacrifice is truly sufficient for us. That each time we stumble, we depend more than ever on him who went through everything and was victorious and wants us to share in his victory.